wonderful night of Late Night with Chefs, starring Truffle Boy and co-host Doug, or vice versa, and our beautiful guest chef tonight, Troy, his beautiful True Cooks uh, hat on, always repping. This is what we do. This is our industry. Oh, yeah. I, lo I love seeing that. How are you doing tonight, chef? I'm doing great. Hell yeah. Good, say, good. Hi to, say hi to all our uh, viewers listening in. Hello, viewers. <laughs> How are you guys doing, everybody, tonight? We're going to get this podcast rolling. We're going to learn a little bit more about Chef Troy and what he's, going, what he's got going on in uh, these times. So, Chef Troy, um, welcome to our beautiful podcast. Uh, me and Doug and the viewers want to get to know you a little bit better, hear your background story and, you know, what were, what were the first experiences that drove you into this uh, beautiful field that we're in and, you know, what were those moments like? If we can start off uh, with getting some of those details and then we can move on to some other questions from there. But what were your early experiences in the culinary field? Um, so... I grew up in Gillette, Wyoming, which is an uh, energy town, energy boom town. And I, my first job was Papa Murphy's, actually. There you go. <laughs> right. And, uh, you I know, like, like, that's I don't a know. big start for a lot of people is pizza. Like yeah, the last exactly. chef we just talked to was pizza. Vlad, you have some pizza experience. Yep. Two pizza shops on yeah. my belt. Yeah. Right. Like, Everybody goes through a pizza phase, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, back in 2004, you know, in high school, like, I worked there for three years. And, like, we made our own crust, the own, our own nice. cookie dough, our own lasagnas, you know. And, like, I just loved it. Yeah. I started, you know, I started cooking when I was young, like 10. Okay. I had a lot of siblings. And my mom wasn't the best cook, <laughs> you know. I hope she doesn't hear that, but no, <laughs> but uh, mine wasn't either. So <laughs> uh, my dad was the cook in the family as well. My mom had like two specialties and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. I hear that a lot too. And it's like, well, who taught you to cook? It's like, well, not my mom, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. You know, so I started early and got into it. And um, when I turned 18 and after I graduated, I moved up to Billings with my adopted dad and, uh, got into construction after that you know which is a long period by like yeah. six years but yeah and then like i just was uh tempted by the money you know and after like five years of doing construction i just started to put myself through i started to study and honestly yeah. I, I love alden brown like he's one of my favorites that's my that's my OG mentor as well. No, I was gonna I say that's Brown. like the first like backyard <laughs> good, barbecue. Yeah, good eats oh, and yeah. Uh, good eats. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, and that's like you know I started watching him more and more, and I already watched him growing up, you know, in the '90s and 2000s, and just started like learning the terms and techniques of everything, and finally got a start when I was about 26. My first mentor, he. Uh, he gave me a chance and I did like a three month stage, which is weird in Billings, Montana, you know, like <laughs> steak and potatoes, bullshit. And, you know, like they're, Oh, you're doing a stage. You're working for free. And at the same time I'm working concrete and I just go there Friday, Saturday nights and work at this restaurant with him for, for free. Months. You know? Wow. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know, I just wanted to get into the industry and I wanted to do what I was, what I love and what I'm passionate about. Cause I was, I went through a divorce at the time. So, you know, I was in that divorce state of mind, like, you know, it's time for me to make a change and finally do what right. I want to do, you know? And like, yeah, he gave me the chance. And after three months I got a full-time position and I worked part-time concrete six to noon and then went home, took a nap and shower and then went to work at the restaurant from like one to 10 or 11, you know, one to close. And did that for like another six months or so. And, and then back at it at 6 a.m. the next morning. Yeah. And, but it was fun. I fucking love this job. And then finally, you know, after six months of doing that, it just started wearing, it wears on you mentally and physically. Yeah. And so I quit concrete and I got another job part-time at a 
another local restaurant, just lunch. So I'd work lunch there and go work full-time nights. But yeah, it was that's pretty much how I got my start. And I started moving up after that. I got lead cook at that restaurant. And so I was able to afford all of my bills because it's all, you know, like not about money, but it is about money, you know? Well, yeah, you have to have enough to, you know, have a, a livable wage and, you know, have that balance in life. Yeah, and just be able to live, you know. Yeah. And so you went from pizza and this restaurant that you were at doing this stage. What kind of cuisine was that? So it was. Uh, it's pretty much American cuisine. Like my chef, he. Uh, it's pretty much a mashup. It's American cuisine. Yeah, you know? like it's a mashup right, between yeah. multiple techniques and foods, like French, Hispanic. You know, like Spanish. You got Italian, and you know all that. Right, it's right. American cuisine. So, and it was a fine dining restaurant. You know, we had wagyu beef and all that. And there you go. And I was lucky to get it. Like I was bl- very blessed to have that job opportunity, and uh, just worked my way up from there. I got lead cook there, and ended up getting sous chef at that part-time job I had that I quit. And I ended up getting sous chef there, and did that for a few years. And so, what was that experience like for you? You know, you're coming from. Uh, this smaller place in a pizza joint and now you're in this like new American fine dining and you've done this stage for three months and you know now you're a line cook for the first time what were you you feeling I was excited and nervous for the change because it was a culture shock you know right going from construction to line cooking and just the culture shock in itself because certain things like politics even comes into play you know which i I felt at home in the kitchen i always have you know like right so it was it was cool to go into the like political change and that kind of thing and then also having i had older line cooks teaching me how to do stuff right and you got these old dudes that are like 50 55 years old like you know and yeah. i'm like 26 just rolling in and they're like this fucking guy coming in from construction thinking he can do our job and i'm like oh, right shit, man, i just love food and they're already burnt out you know they're like career line cooks yeah yeah that's kind of a hard mentality to get into because they just think of it as a job you know they're not passionate right. they're not trying to move up it's just a job to them and that kind of shocked me as well as because when i went into food I'm super passionate about it. So when I went to food and you have these older line cooks that have been doing it for 20, 30 years and they don't really care at all. And they just, it's just a paycheck. So that was kind of a shock to me. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, what the fuck did I get into? (laughs) Is this going to be me in 30 years? I know. Am I foreshadowing myself? (laughs) Right. And that's kind of, you know, so some mixed emotions on what I've felt, you know, but in the end, my sous chef ended up being like my biggest mentor. She's awesome because my executive chef, he ended up quitting because he got a better opportunity at a restaurant across the street (laughs) and he's like, and then, yeah, like a month after he offered me the full-time spot after the stage, he quit. I'm like, you asshole, (laughs) you know, like I'm not done learning yet. But yeah. my sous chef, she took the reins and she didn't want to, like she really didn't, but she took the reins and she taught me a lot and she put me in charge of the bar menu, you know, and I'm only like a year and a half into cooking. That's cool. So you got you to know? make like little small plates and stuff for the bar. Yeah, it was, it was more like burgers. Like I did a burger, we did like nachos, you know, just like, That's cool. it's, you know, like bar food. Yeah. Bar food. Yeah. You know, so that was pretty fun. It kind of got my creative juices flowing again and, you know. Sounds like an awesome uh, introduction to get into um, food like that. And it seems like you had the right people around you to propel you in the right direction and give you all the right tools that you needed to kind of, you know, step up and, and, you know, grow in terms of career-wise. And I've definitely stumbled upon and had to, lead but work with you know line cook careers i I think that's a very good uh 
term and phrase, there's definitely a lot of, you know, line cook career people where they just want to, you know, prep their five items on their station, come in, clock in, do their setup, you know, and leave for the night. But, you know, I know for me, Doug and you, that's just clearly not enough. And it's not the reason that we got into it. Um, you know, it's about yeah. thing. But mad respect for anyone who can be on the line for 30, 40 okay. years. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, that put a wear and tear on anybody. And you need those people because they're the most consistent people. They're the easiest to, yeah. to train because uh, whether they know it or not, they do this, you know, they, they follow the same rules and guidelines. And I think a lot of executive chefs like um, these people because well, they're dependable. You know, they're not going to be like, hey, chef, I think we can do this a little bit better. Or, hey, I saw persimmons are in season now. Can we change that? You know, that was always me. I'm like, can we change some things? Like, always it's getting, little, it's getting or a little trying to make it the difficult. Yeah. And you're just exactly. like, oh, I'm just going to change the recipe slightly because it'll be better this way. Yeah. And they felt like chefs hate that, you know? It's like, yeah. Uh, so that that was, that's that's me right there in a sentence. Um <laughs> I was the guy that the executive chef was like, does, does this say your fucking name on the door? I didn't think so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do, do it my way. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, you know, wow. line cook careers are very important in this industry and, and mad respect for them. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I love hearing that, you know, side of the story that, you know, you got in at 26, but you're still as hungry and ambition as, you know, anybody in, at, at any age. And, you know, you were able to learn and get your fundamentals down and move up through the ranks. Um, and can you tell me a little bit more about like the culinary scene, you know, in your town and, and how's that like? Do, you know, is, is it a foodie town? Do people go out a lot? Uh, you know, what's, what's a busy night? Like how many covers? And is this all like in one area, like a downtown area, or is it like more spread out? How is that like? Um, so. Billings is not a foodie town at all. And it's a struggle to express yourself creative, like creative wise. And because it's all about steak and potatoes, it's all about the most bang for your buck. You know, they want right. fat plate the value. Of food. Yeah. And they don't care what it tastes like. And it is busy. People go out, like we have a lot of restaurants, not a lot of local restaurants, it's a lot of uh, chain restaurants such as like Outback and Olive Garden and, mm. you know, shit like that. Yeah. And so it's kind of a struggle. There is other towns in Montana. There's two other towns that are really awesome in the food scene, you know, when they are more liberal towns, which, you know, explains a lot. But um, yeah. They're definitely more foodie. They're more willing to pay for quality ingredients and the taste right. versus how much you get. But I've been blessed. Like I, I've got this job at the golf club last May as chef de cuisine. And I'm able to do a menu. I, I do a new menu every month so I can like kind of show these people and kind of experiment on them, if you will. Like here, just eat it. You're going to fucking like it. Just eat it. Right? Yeah. yeah. And like I'm doing, I have a beer dinner coming up in two weeks and my executive chef, he just kind of lets me do my thing, you know, like That's he's cool. already got so much other responsibility being in, like I've never been in a club environment, which is a totally different culture than a restaurant oh, yeah. And this is the first time I've been in the club environment. And I, I've done dinners, like I've done some wine dinners with like six courses, seven courses. And my executive chef, he's just like, oh, yeah, he's like, he'll send out the email to all the members, right? And I'm like, do they know what's on the menu? And he's like, who gives a shit? <laughs> it's like, they're going to pay their price and they're going to eat what they get. If they don't want it, they won't eat it. I went to the country club and you're right about that. It's right. Yeah. And it's crazy, but it's so awesome though at the same time because I get to show these people like, oh my God, it tastes good. And right. most of them are receptive towards what I bring to the table. Like you are always gonna get people that don't like it, you know, or don't even want to try right. it because it looks different or weird. This is way too many colors. I can't eat this. Right. Yeah. I need and, brown and white. That's it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's cool, though, because then I'm still educating them and I'm kind of I feel like I'm opening their minds to 
trying different food or trying food that's actually normal in other places. And right. like, oh my God, this tastes amazing. Like I did a taco dinner, a six, uh, six course taco dinner and they were eating tripe and they were eating uh jowl and they were, they were eating off cuts of meat. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And like, it was just awesome. Big, big props to you to, to do that because I know that yeah. country club members are usually 45 plus and, um, oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, if they if they didn't eat it in their childhood, they're not eating it in their adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> well, and exactly, big props yeah. for sure. I mean, that takes courage. I know when I worked at the club, the the members are the ones who run stuff. So if they don't like you, if if they don't like what you're doing, you're gone. You're out. There is no the members are in control. So that's big courage too. That's awesome. Yeah, because it's nonprofit. Like right. they pay. They don't. They're not looking to make money. You know, they pay. Right. That's their, one of the members I was talking with, he's like, this is our safe place. You know, we come here because we know it's good and they pay the membership fee and it's cool that they like it, you know, right. Certain menus I put out, they don't like some things, but I change it every month. So I'm just like, all right, that's coming off the menu, you know, like, right. Obviously I have my, I call them untouchables. Yeah. (laughs) My chef's like, you can't touch the Cobb salad. You can't change this. There's like five menu items that I can't change. You know, it's been around for 30 years, right? The short rib papas. Right. Don't touch that one. I remember our culinary teacher, our culinary teacher, uh, Chef Meyer, shout out to Chef Meyer, but, uh, you know, when we were going through like uh, menu matrix, you know, you have your stars, you have your horses, and then you got your dogs. And yep. there's got to be a fine balance between everything to, you know, not only maybe bring in new people or keep the people that want to eat creatively happy, but also, you know, the, the OGs or the, the people who are less lenient, keep them happy as well. And there's there's always that fine balance. And it's really awesome to see that you're able to, you know, um, have that connection. I know Doug was saying that, you know, he worked in a hotel and he would have some guests stay for like 45, you know, days with him. And he got to know what their palate's like, what, what are they going to like? You know, what some things I can, you know, maybe send on the house that they wouldn't have otherwise tried, but it's close to what their taste buds is. And I, uh, is it the same kind of experience where like, you know, you got the same club members coming in and talking to you and giving you like good feedback and you're able to really accommodate them to the highest level versus, you know, like you going out to a, a, a busy restaurant where it's like any modification you made, the line cooks in the back are bitching you out. Like this fucking guy doesn't want dressing or everything on the side or yeah. what is, yeah. you know, but if you know that, you know, Jim or James don't like dressing or, or like a certain amount, you you're more like open to like you're like yeah that's fine that's james like what do you want from him he wants everything on the side he wants to make his salad there you know so is it the same is it is a little bit different how's that vibe it's it's pretty close to the same because like we have certain members like when i change i change the branch menu every few months and we have a prominent like we have generations of members so the club's been open since 1905 Oh, wow. Yeah. So you like, we've got generations of members. Oh, my great grandpa was a member, you know, like whatever, you know, it's like. And he had the same turkey sandwich. And I swear to God, (laughs) if I don't get this turkey sandwich. Oh, yeah. And they order shit. And it's like, oh, it's fucking, you know, like Bents or something, you know, just for example. And it's like, yeah, random name. And they always order like their you know, when they come in for brunch, they're getting extra crispy bacon. They're getting cold butter cut from the fridge. You know, they don't want the packet. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like you already know. And that's exactly what you were talking about with the hotel. You already know what these members want. And this guy's been coming here since he was like 10 years old for like 50 years. You know, it's insane. Crazy. But, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you have to it's cool that they try newer stuff at like a dinner or something, you know, he's trying some short ribs that I did with like brown butter peas. And he's like, I don't know what brown butter is, you know, but he ate it and he thought, it was, and that's what he gets every, you know, every right. night. and it is, it's a challenge, but it's also fun at the same time because you're changing these old guys, like 90 year old members, you know, are eating stuff they never had. Yeah. 
That's awesome. That's amazing. That sounds really rewarding. It is rewarding and it's, it's fun, but at the same time, you know, you got the shit that's like all these golf, you know, we have a Thursday night golf club. Every Thursday night is men's night. And, uh, there's a lot of men's nights. Let's just say there's like three men's nights. Like there's no women involved in any of this, which is also, you know, kind of a culture shock going into the club. It's like, oh, wow, you know, the world is yeah. definitely chauvinist, you know, and like all these guys, they have prominent business around town. Like they're all like big head people, you know, like we have yeah. judges. And it's just kind of crazy to me that they're still stuck in that way, but they're like, oh, this guy's wife or whatever. They're like, who's who's her husband? And it's like, that's just weird to me, you know? It's like yeah. it goes off the man. And it's like, yeah, you know, like I've never been in the rich community. You know, like I've done fine dining, but you don't really have the connection with the wealthy right. white men that I have had in the club. And that's definitely a, a little weird and kind of off-putting at times. You know? It's like, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever work a club after this job, you know, like kind of thing. Yeah. It's definitely a a different culture with the members. I know it was like that. I was at a club that actually hosted the PGA tour one year and it was just the ideas are, it's just different mindset, very different mindset. It is. And these people just run everything and it's like, Oh my right. God, these people are re- like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Don't like don't this. mess up that Turkey sandwich. <laughs> right. But. So it's cool. So you went from line cook at this new American place and now you're at a country club. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. So I went line cook at the new American spot and then, uh, kind of, I started working like multiple restaurants. Like I worked two jobs for at two, two and a half years. I was working a few jobs around town, you know, and I was trying to just keep up with like Billings is not foodie, like I said before. So I was right. trying to find the best restaurants like farm to table and like cooking in season. Cause that's what I kind of think and believe in, you know, us as chefs, we're trying to educate people on how to eat and be sustainable on you know like you're just trying to be sustainable and eat certain vegetables and even meats during certain times of the year you know like right well i'm sure the quality of some of the the produce and the game coming out of montana is probably pretty high it's just sourcing it the game the game and like beef is really high like we actually have a lot of grass-fed we have a wagyu project up in bozeman is okay. awesome. Montana I was going to ask you about that. Matt. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, Wagyu in your uh, early culinary experience working at the, the fine dining um, establishment. And I was just going to say that there, there is, uh, you know, a lot of land. So, um, you know, sourcing like beef and game, but uh, Wagyu especially, I think Wagyu is uh, definitely one of the newer cattle breeds or or breeds that's getting, you know, multi-bred uh, with Angus or uh, Hereford or whatever it may be. But I think uh, Montana is providing uh, some really good American Wagyu uh, in the market right now. And I think that's really cool that, you know, you're in the vicinity of, you know, maybe a hundred miles from the actual farm House. or wh- wherever they're, you know, grazing the land. And to, to put that on a plate, I think that that means a lot. And it's, it's a completely different product. It does. And then it's awesome. But at the same time, there's a lot of like, I'm not a big fan of grain fed beef, just be not because of the flavor, but because of the sustainability to it. Like cows are ruminants. They're not meant to eat grain, you know? And like when you, when the cows work in the field, as the muscles contract and expand and, all that, you know, as the cow's working out, it's being filled with the fat from what it's, what it's eating. And that's why, you know, grain tastes good, but we do have a lot of farms and like cattle yards to where they just have them in cages right next to each other. And they're just eating grain their whole life. And they're not really, they're not going out and grazing. They're not building muscle. They're just building fat. Right. You know, so there's not much flavor, but we do have certain projects around Montana, which are grass fed or like the Wagyu, you know, like 
It is yeah. grain finished and it, it's delicious. But at the same time, you have that Wagyu and it's still roaming. It's still being a ruminant. It's doing what it's supposed to do and it's grazing. So we have that, but the majority of beef comes from cattle yards where these, you have like, you know, you go 10 miles outside of Billings and we have like three cattle yards in between here and another town, which is kind of a suburb. And then you got a few more up north, you know, in between another suburb and Billings. And you you drive by these cattle yards and it's just nothing but like, you got 50 cows to like a hundred foot pen. It's, they're just like packed in, you know, and it's kind of sad. Yeah. I don't know. It's disappointing because Montana should have more, you know, like better quality meat. And all we can find, yeah, but all we can find here too is beef. Like we don't have lamb. We don't have uh, goat. We don't have sheep. Like, yeah, it's just beef. You know, oh. and it's like you can't always just eat beef. Like you gotta <laughs> yeah. expand out. Yeah. And I've put lamb on the menu. I've put like if I put duck on the menu, it won't sell. Like it's just disappointing to that. And we have a lot of hunters that hunt duck. Right. But they don't eat duck, which is like, wait a minute, you know, that's kind of like yeah contradictory to me. I'll you know? kill that bird, but I'm definitely not eating it. I'm right? just gonna you kill know? it and throw it away. And exactly that's like I'm I put antelope short ribs on the menu. And oh, that sounds delicious. I would definitely try that. Yeah, yeah I would like, definitely try that too. We have a lot of pronghorns around here, a lot, you know, and and everybody hunts them, but they don't eat them. They just see it and they're like, nope, not going to do it. And it's just, huh. it's disappointing, you know. It's all about trophy. It's right. But that's kind of this region. It's very conservative. It's very, it's challenging. But well, I it think it's like- you're a pioneer and it's like one dinner of changing their minds. Like little by little, you'll get to those antelope short ribs. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like the, like the taco dinner, you know, I had like conchonita and like some yeah. other tacos are like, I don't even know what this is. You know, and like I wrote, so when I did the menu, it's like half in Spanish and half in English. And obviously none of them know Spanish. <laughs> right. Like in Montana, but you know, it was kind of fun and they just, they loved it. They just drank. They had a good time. I have a really cool friend of the house manager that makes some awesome drinks and That's he's cool. kind of got the same mindset I do. Yeah. And like, you know, they just drank and have a good time. You know, that's what we're in this industry for is to get people to have a good time, to enjoy some food, you know? And yeah, I gave them one taco per course over the six courses and at first they were like, Oh, we only get one taco. What the hell? You know? And then afterwards, like they started not even eating the tortilla and just eating the filling. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm so full. I was like, that's why I gave you one taco. You're eating six tacos, you know? Yeah. Just for example, yeah, that's but, a meal. that's definitely uh, that kind of thinking like a tasting menu is very small. So just to get a type of person that's sort of used to the large plates to come do a tasting for one taco is quite a task, I'm sure. Right. That's yeah. a, it's a, it's a big task to go from like, you know, your circular plate where you got your protein, right. your, grain, your veg yeah. to no, you're going to, we're going to split this up. We're going to time it. We're going right, to right. take care of you. Just sit there, enjoy the experience of what, you know, the culinary team has thought and, and put effort into. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. And it, um, it, it's awesome to hear, you know, that there is still a lot of movement and a lot of, you know, farm to table and uh, chefs that are, you know, trying to get different product into their states or want people to see that, you know, yeah, you can hunt the duck, but duck tastes delicious. You just got to, you know, make it right and not overcook it or, or what it may be. But like you said, it was, it's a very conservative, conservative state. And I feel like a lot of the people were just like, you know, bred, bred to, to enjoy a certain thing. And it's, you're, you're almost taking a, like a, a bigger task than, you know, even some chefs in Chicago that all this stuff people know, like people that go out to eat, they know what a lot of this stuff is, but you know, somewhere in Montana, this, you, you have to like embrace that and, and, educate you know your consumer and and that takes a lot of time to do that and to do it properly and it, it sounds like you've been doing that and that's awesome to hear 
Yeah, and it's not it's not just the consumer. It's also like the server staff, you know, like they don't know what even like a cassoulet is. They they don't know what agridulture is or you know certain things that like we think everybody should know, right. you know, and at first when right. I first hit the industry, you know, I did all my studying and shit, you know, and I knew all this stuff or like even just simple terms like confit, you know, like when I first hit the industry, I was like, oh, I know this and I haven't been in the restaurant industry. And then I got frustrated at it and I got, I got kind of mad at it. What are you people doing? I know. Right. But the farther, the, the longer I'm in this industry, the more I just want to teach people. And I'm like, okay guys, you know, and then the more excited I get almost. And it's like, okay, you know, comfy is this or cassoulet is this, you know, or like you have, I don't know, like even Hasselback potatoes, which seems so simple. And they're like, I don't know what that is. Remind me again. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's just like, it's like a badass baked potato, basically. You know, exactly. like you just put it in terms for the, for them. You know, it's kind of fun. Like it's more exciting now the more I'm in it versus me just getting frustrated over it, you know, because that never right. worked. It's not how you teach people, you know. And that's uh, getting on that subject a little bit later on, like the leadership. I'm very interested to see like what mentors uh, led you into your leadership roles and, you know, what they, what foundation they laid on you to, to be a good leader, because otherwise I don't think you'd be able to, you know, have these jobs that you do have uh, at, at that level of management. But going on to your like early learning stages, you know, what books, and what material would you recommend that, you know, what did you gobble up in terms of material uh, or mentors when you were like getting into this field? Who are the pioneers that, you know, opened your eyes into agridolce and cassoulets and, you know, mother sauces and, and what it may be? What, what were those textbooks or education that, and, and how'd you like find it? Because I think that's also a very important tool is how to find this education and, 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 you know, what's inspired you to, to even embrace that education? Um, so, like I said, Alden Brown was like, I've been watching him since I was a little kid, you know, like he is just the way that he produced food and his thought process on how to make good food, like with the science aspect, you know, that really, cause I love science. It's like, you know, one of my favorite things and, that was a big push into it. And that's kind of what got me passionate about food. And later on, when I started getting more like heavily into studying and stuff, Sean Brock, like the heritage, I just got uh, the South cookbook last summer. Awesome. Just hearing him talk about it. But one of the main influences is Dan Barber, like the third plate, his book, the third plate, I've read it. I'm on my fourth time right now. Like that book is so awesome because you can just learn so much. And it's not really about cooking itself. It's just about food and where it comes from. And it is the epitome of farm to table and what he's trying to do and what he's done. Like, I just yeah. I love the book. That's one of my favorite books. Um, Edward Lee is another one of my favorite chefs. He does a lot of cool stuff because he's got like his latitude cooking ideas, you know, like his family is from South Korea and like he lives in Kentucky now, but it's along the same latitude line. Right. So you grow the same vegetables and fruits and it's crazy to think about because you have all the like fermentation, for example, they have kimchi, sauerkraut and other things right. along the same latitude line, but these different cultures fermented in a different way. And that's kind of a cool thing to me. Um, Rene Redzepi is pretty awesome. I have, I don't really have a lot of chefs that I've worked under that have taught me a lot. It's more, it more comes from reading because here in this town, it's kind of hard to get a chef that's, it's so meat and potatoes driven that to have a chef here that actually does what he wants to do. Like my first mentor, when I first started working for him, he did whatever he wanted to do. Like he worked up in big sky for a long time and working up there, you're working for more celebrities. So you're working for other cultures versus a Montana culture, you know, 
And so when you're working for celebrities, you get to do whatever the fuck you want to do because they love food. Like they're cultured, right? <laughs> like, right. I mean, right. And then he comes to Billings and he's not able to do that. So it's hard to learn from somebody that kind of gets pushed back themselves, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. But as far as like numbers wise, I've learned a lot from chefs here, like how to, you know, like food cost or, you know, order or just manage a restaurant in general. Like yeah. I've had more mentors like that that have taught me about the numbers side, I guess the numbers game of it. But And I think that would be a little bit different in the Chicago scene is like, there's going to be a lot of chefs that will teach you all these molecular, molecular stuff. But when it comes to costing, and, you know, sourcing and that they're, they're not going to tell you anything. Yeah. that's that's kind of like a like a secret that they're going to keep and it's it's very at least for me in my experiences i think i learned so much about food but then when i got into the management part i was like whoa that's a whole other animal over here hold on nothing to do that's with crazy food. that is pretty uh, crazy and then you know like doing uh you know like buying stuff at the end of the night and it's just like I'm the only one there. And I'm like, Hold on, okay. I just spent $300 on vegetables. Am I in trouble? <laughs> Look, right. Looks like we're going to need Brussels. If they're going to sit here for a week, we throw them out. I mean, nobody taught me better. So, But yeah. that was my, my experience was, you know, when I got into management, I had to learn the, the management side. And I was really never taught that. I was just taught, like, hold your station down, hold your station down, help your peers. That has nothing to do with, you know, the business side of it and i think that's very important to any chef or, or to any restaurateur anybody in the industry is to understand the fundamentals of the business side because if you're not bringing in money nobody cares how much wagyu or truffles you're gonna you know buy you're not gonna that's not gonna be sustainable right yeah exactly cool. that's that's cool to hear you guys side of that because i yeah like you know, we've all, it's always been drilled in my head. Like you got to have 30% food cost. you know, you got to have 25% labor costs. Like we have like maybe two or three line cooks on the line at a time. And we're doing like 350, 400 covers and you got two line cooks and then you got your expo and your garm, you know, and you're just fucking rocking it. Like you're just burning and you're just fucking, you know, you're just flipping over your six star top, like eight, nine times because they're so worried about labor cost and food cost, you know? So right. it's cool to hear your guys' side of that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah, definitely a lot of restaurants that yeah. could care less about food costs, but it, it always bites them in the ass at the end. Right. It, yeah. It's all like, you know, these chefs will be like, ah, I do whatever I want. And then six months later, the accountant comes down. He's like, so you spent like $30,000 on venison and we sold maybe $10,000 worth. Why, <laughs> right. why are we throwing away $20,000 worth of venison? Right. And then, you know, the chef has nothing to tell you because he's, you know, in this like what's new, what's next type of environment to where, you know, you guys are like, let's do something cool, but let's be smart about it. Let's budget it out. You know, let's cover our asses first. Let's make sure that the business is running in yeah. terms of that side. Is it, is, is it like a seasonal town or is it, you know, year round type of traffic? How does that fluctuate? It's a year round traffic for sure. Like we're the nearest mountains are about 30 miles away. Like we have four mountain ranges around us, but the nearest are about 30 miles, anywhere from 30 to 120 miles around. Um, so we're not seasonal. We don't have like the ski jobs and like all that, but. It is year round. It is kind of nice because we are so close to all the mountain ranges. So we do get a decent amount of tourists during the winter and summer, you know, for like hiking and all that shit. And, mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that is nice. And like, you know, being in the club, like they have their dues and they got to spend a certain amount of money every month. So they have to come in versus like my last job when I was sous chef, we, January through like March was just dead. You know, that's when we started laying people off. And we're like, all right, you know, we can't have this many people. So then I was, when I was sous chef, I was basically a glorified line cook. You know, like I just right. I fucking cooked the line every night. I worked 12, 14 hours a day, you know, just nonstop. I was a salary. So 
that was cool for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, you know, I just love, I just, I just want to move up. So the more experience I get, I don't really care. You know, I care about the money, but as long as they offer me a decent salary, you know, I was doing my job and I was fucking working my ass off and just lying. You know? right. Right. It's still fun though, because that means it's going back to like the old line cooks. Those guys are monsters, you know, like they can just smash like five, 600 covers, like no problem. So it's, it's nice experience to have to line cook. Yeah. And because then I can keep up with these guys. Cause that's how you get those guys' respect. You know, like they oh, don't yeah. give a shit if you're a chef or not. They're just like, unless he can line cook, fuck this guy, you know, cause they're like, exactly. 50 years old. but yeah, to do so 500 that, covers a night, you, you have to be ready mentally and physically. And, and oh, meat, yeah. in, in terms of me, like, I've never, you know, 450 was like the max amount of covers a night. So, you know, five, 600 covers. I, I can't even imagine yeah. the chaos that is eluding <laughs> the kitchen and, and the, you know, the, the rush. I, I just couldn't even imagine how many tickets coming out of that machine and, and the control that you must have, uh, you know, over this magnitude of things that is occurring at the same second. Oh man. And it's fun as shit. I worked at a brunch spot. That's where we were doing like 600 covers. And it was just a new brunchery. It was called Sassy Biscuit. This place was awesome. But we, I opened it up with my chef, and I was kind of like, you know, not really a sous chef, but it was just me and him, and we just opened this restaurant, brought in the other cooks, and this guy, Chris, <laughs> Chris and I just rocked the fucking line, dude. Like, we did, we did like 625 covers, go out and have a cigarette, just for like, you know, I don't know, five minutes, just a quick break. And we'd look down and all you see is a line going down the block or around the corner. It's like, motherfucker. <laughs> but him and I, we rocked those 625 while quoting Talladega Nights the whole time. <laughs> and just, they were getting their food faster than they were getting their mimosas. And it was, the owner came back and she's like, you guys need to slow down. And we're like, you see our rail? Like we started stacking tickets because our rail was full, you know? Yeah. So you're stacking your tickets and you're like, okay, this, you know, and you got three more behind the other one. And you're like, shit. But yeah. it's like, you see this rail? Like we can't stop. Like we got to keep going, you know? It's just the two right. of us. Just, yeah. You know, and it was just eggs and, you know, it was brunch. We had six different gravies and we had like a steam table with all that, you know? But right. Still, I'm working with like a six star top. He's got a flat top and a fryer, like a tabletop fryer, nonetheless. But it was just fun as shit. <laughs> he started frying bacon and she got all pissed. She's like, What are you doing frying this bacon? He's like, I have no other choice. My flat top's full of French toast and pancakes. You know, I don't know. It's just fun as shit, you know, like, yeah. But it's intense at the same time, you know, just yeah. that adrenaline rush, right? I mean, That's it's awesome exactly. to to hear your experiences and, and, you know, see that smile on your face, just like reminiscing on the, the good old days of, you know, where you didn't have to worry about all the other stuff. You just come in, rock your station, smoke right. a cigarette, come back, knock it out, leave, have a drink and forget about everything. And just kind of <laughs> just look back at it. Like, wow, we did that. Like, yeah. I think that's the greatest feeling, you know, uh, you know, after after your shift is like leaving your shift and being like everybody was happy we got all the food out in time chef yelled maybe a couple times chef didn't yell at all you know i didn't mess up any orders i feel like so like there's no better feeling of like i like i aced everything like i did everything right i'm so happy of myself and and i can really see that you you've definitely uh, endured that in in your career and and had those times and moments um and that's awesome to hear i mean six six twenty five no matter if it's eggs or you know french fries that yeah still six twenty five that's, 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 a, a that's numbers that are are insane um and yeah, it's, it's a, a very yeah very yeah very hard uh it's a lot of pressure let's put it that way and i i think uh, you know us as chefs or people in the industry uh we we like that pressure we like when people are expecting the un like the unexpected from us right like 
do things that are unheard of. Like to me, 625, that's like, wow. Even 500, I mean, no matter what, even 150 is like a lot of people to be feeding in a day. And you touched, you know, like you pretty much touched and cooked and prepped and thought about the food that they're going to be eating that they didn't even know they're going to be eating the day before, whatever it may be. So that's amazing. So kind of getting off that topic and getting on your amazing early experiences in culinary, I want to jump on, you know, uh, the big red elephant in the room, which is COVID. And, uh, you know, me and Doug and the viewers are very interested to see how did COVID affect your, you know, the industry in Montana? Um, you know, how is the community rooting for, you know, the, the small restaurants to survive? I know you were mentioning there's, you know, a lot of chain restaurants you know, what, how, what have you seen? Are like they surviving? Are they doing good? Are they thriving? And kind of what was your work situation like during these, you know, COVID shutdowns and this ongoing COVID, uh, you know, situation that we're in? Um, so it hit us pretty hard at first. We, we had a Democratic, we had a Democrat governor in house last year and when phase one hit it hit us like real hard and i think it was it was saint patrick's day was the first day that it hit us because we had this whole thing planned like i had corned beef and cabbage and i was sous chef and uh i had everything all prepped and then saint patrick's day hit the governor just shut everything down he's like takeouts only no dine-ins at all you know and uh we actually did pretty decent for our takeouts that night for St. Patrick's Day with you know the corned beef and you know just family style basically we started doing right like corned beef for two cor- like corned beef from either 2 to like 10 is what we had you know like 2 4 6 8 10 and then you know we just put them in bigger containers so we adapted fairly quickly which i'm sure everybody kind of did but we adapted to the takeout thing and then that's all it was for about two months is just strictly takeout. You know, people would come in the social distancing. Um, nobody other than Uber eats was allowed in Grubhub was allowed in. Uh, uh, we have like a local cafe courier. It's kind of like Uber eats. So like the okay. delivery drivers were all allowed in, but the customers were not in our front of the house. We laid everybody off. It was, we had two sous chefs. It was I was the nighttime sous chef, and then we had a daytime sous chef, the executive chef, one line cook, and then we had front of the house manager, and then the lead server. Were the only like we were the only ones that didn't get laid off. Everybody else got laid off, and wow. so we had to handle everything. And we're still, you know, we're doing about. 80 to 100 to go orders a night you know which is rough on one person you know (laughs) like i'd be working by myself on the line and just like thankfully our lead server he was a line cook back in the day before he went to the front of the house so he would come back and give me a hand which was nice you know because you're working this fucking line yeah uh it was a little rough at first and then i ended up getting the job at the club in may right before we hit phase we hit phase one in June. So I got the job offer at the club at Chef de Cuisine, went over there, started working, doing menu development and stuff like that. And then when June hit, phase one hit, we were at 50% capacity, which at the club, you know, is a little different because we have like three banquet rooms. So they were just able to set up tables in all the banquet rooms. Right. And spread everybody all the way out. Yeah, so we were still we were still doing about 80% capacity, but it was just spread out through banquet rooms versus just the restaurant and bar, you know. Right. So they were able to adapt in that way, which was nice, but also like we have a lot of doctors as members, so like half our members our club is like 315 I believe. It's just over 300 max members and we have about half the members still coming, you know, like Cause they're all older, you know, and they don't want to be susceptible to the virus. So right. we only have about 150 maybe members regular. And so on that note, it's like, you know, you're only doing about 75, hundred covers on like a Friday night, you know, it's not busy at all. Yeah. 
but, but it's nice being in the club so it's already paid for so yeah have- and it's non-profit yeah like i'm running right. a 47 percent food cost you know like that's fucking that's insane to me like you know you're used to a restaurant where you're running 30 percent, but here it's just like non-profit and you they don't really care they just want good food it's just members you know like right so i'm lucky on that i've been blessed to have that but everywhere else here in this town has been hit pretty hard. Like there's a couple of restaurants that are like the staples. Like we have a uh, restaurant here that my old mentor went to and he's now part owner of owner of. Um, but it's been here for like 30 years and everybody goes there. Like it's like our fine dining spot. And there's not really any kind of fine dining spots here in Billings, you know, like it's not. Yeah. Really but it's the closest that would come to that. Um, so there's certain restaurants like that and, but at the same time in the last few months, it's kind of changed a lot, not for the better, but because it's so conservative and there's so many people are like, I don't give a shit. I ain't wearing no mask in the bars. Just like we have a 10 o'clock close time right now and you get a fine if you're open past 10 but if a bar makes more money they'll just pay that fine (laughs) i know right and it's so hard man and we we're like we keep spiking in covid cases and it's so frustrating because we went back to the fines three hundred dollars everybody pitch in if you want to keep drinking until midnight swear to god or they just go home to our wives I know. And it's so frustrating to me because we even have people in the industry, like for the beer dinner, for example, I talked with a a couple of the brewers, right? You know, we're trying the beers and all that so I can pair the beers with my food, you know, and like vice versa. And one of the brewers is like, Oh, I just can't wait. Like we just elected a Republican governor for like the first time in like 40 years. And he's just being an asshole. (laughs) He's like, I'm trying to get rid of no masks, no like full capacity. And he's like, I can't wait till this, till G and Forte puts in this mandate. And I'm like, you even have people in the industry and it's like, yeah, but man, like, think about it. Like when the cases spike, yeah, what are you going to do then? Like, we're just going to go back and regress and like, Right. You know, it's just frustrating that people and it's just such a conservative spot, you know. Right. And it gets frustrating in that aspect that you have to deal with that and like ignorance almost to a certain point, you know. I think it is like a, a type of ignorance. I would agree with that. It's like a a not wanting I mean it's it goes like what we've talked about a couple of times is like the polarization of America. Everyone talks about that like a trigger word, but uh it is like this ignorance to just looking through the other side of the window. It's like, I'm not going to. Well, but on that being said, you know, when you got people in Montana going to the same country club for three, four generations, then it's like, you know, this is, yeah, it's like, it's my, it's my country club. Don't tell right. me what to do here. Yeah, and I get yeah. that too. You know, when we, you know, Doug's in uh, Florida now, you know, he, he was born in Chicago but when you leave like the sentimental values that you kind of have, you kind of go with whatever's new and, and kind of makes sense. But when you're still right. stuck in your old ways, it's, you know, it's like, it's like telling our parents something that's better for them to do. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know a lot. Yeah. Sure. You know, how many years you've been here? Yeah. You know, <laughs> So right. I, I kind of understand it. I, I understand the frustration. Um, but it's also like, you know, I, I feel like you're figuring out your angles and seeing what you can and can't do and what, you know, right, you can cross and, and not yeah. cross. Well, and that's what it is nice with the club because we're so strict because there's so many influential people there, like Democratic and Republican, that we like we we're very strict on everything that we do. But when say, you know, like I have Mondays off. And I'll go out on a Monday night, you know, just to have some dinner somewhere. And you go out, like, I don't even, I don't even want to go out because I go out and you have all these assholes running around with no mask. They don't give a shit about anything, you know, like, right. And you go to other bars and restaurants and I get that. Like, I understand it to a point, like they want to make money, but at the same time, it's like, if you don't follow the rules and 
don't abide to the virus. Like the virus is controlling everything. Like it, it is, you know? Right, right. It's not a party controlling it. The virus is what's controlling us right now. Well, that's what, yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's just frustrating to go out and you see everybody else not caring and you put so much thought, especially being in the industry. And most of these people are have probably never had an industry job, you know? Right. And they're just disrespectful. And if they did, they probably wouldn't behave that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. I feel like everybody, didn't we talk about that before, Vlad? Like a two year yeah. mandatory uh, industry requirement after you oh, graduate yeah. college. <laughs> yeah, like North Korea in the army. That's what Vlad, but yep. in a better way, the service industry. Not as, yeah, because you, know, you have more respect <laughs> for the way. Right. <laughs> Uh, that, that's uh that's awesome to hear though that you know the community is still supporting and people are still going out um you know there's you know there's always going to be that asshole that has covid and goes to the bar with no mask and then yeah infects you know, everybody and then like we had a conversation about that in the earlier podcast it's like y- you don't want to go out because you know this is happening and it's kind of almost on you if you choose to go out you know that's kind of happening so like if you get yeah. it, there's no one really to blame. And, and I agree with you, like, uh, even in Chicago, um, where there was, you know, patio season and to goes, uh, I didn't go out a lot because it's like, well, if I'm going to go get something to go, I know, you know, from a chef perspective, right? Like you're always going to critique anybody's food, no matter if it's yours right. or somebody else's, but especially if you get it to go, you're going to be like, uh, I would have done this and this and this and this and this. Like nobody wants <laughs> yeah. a, nobody wants like a smart ass. But in the end of the day, you know, we we understand we still need to support. And I think you know, doing as much as you can to support your local community is really good. Uh, you know, I have like six friends doing to go menus, and everybody wants me to buy from them. And I'm not now. I'm in that predicament and then and in that situation, like yeah. Uh, now you got to get your own to go menu going, Vlad. Well. I thought about it, but then it's like, I, I just don't want to be that guy. Like I, I was thinking my angle, you know, maybe cookies or something easy, but yeah. it's, it's a lot to do. Like, you know, we've talked to a lot of chefs that, you know, didn't have the opportunity to get another job or just jobs weren't that available. And they went ahead and opened their own little, like small, uh, small businesses, side businesses. And they saw like, you know, a lot of great positive feedback from, the community and i think that's really good and i think that you know everybody in the industry needs to be supporting each other now especially mm-hmm. because some people have jobs some people don't have jobs and everybody's kind of on the spectrum of are they doing okay are they just making it by or are they in complete shit and are they right. really going to survive and it's hard to see when you're you know like when you were saying that it's hard to learn from a mentor that's still like trying to figure out his thing it's, it's it's hard to work in a restaurant that's, you know, having its own problems and, you know, yeah. flows that are, you know, interrupted. Uh, but it's, you know, it's good to see that you're in this environment where you're able to, uh, you know, take all this knowledge that you're passionate about learning and, uh, you know, put it on a menu and, you know, get a 47% food cost on the item that you want to put on and think is going to be a great sell and, great for the members. And I think that intimacy that you have with your members is amazing. And a lot of people in the field get that disconnect from it. Right. And sometimes, yep. you know, as a line cooker, sous chef or executive chef, you lose the sight of like what you're, what you're trying to do, right. Just feed people to have a good time, have them come back. That's, that's as simple, you know, as simply as we put it, but that's, that's all people are looking for to when they go out is, get fed with good food and have a good time and a great experience. And I think that's awesome that you're able to provide kind of both and, you know, doing these uh, like beer collaboration dinners and taco uh, tasting menus and stuff like that. That's incredible. And it's, it's great and reassuring to hear that, you know, that the, the industry is strong and it's here to stay. We just have to kind of come together as, as a community of, of chefs and industry food and beverage uh, personnel and speak these stories, let people know like, Hey, we're doing fine. I think, uh, chef Artsmith said that like, it's really important to let people know like, Hey, we're doing fine. If we're not doing fine, reach out to us. Like we're going to help you out. 
and everybody's story, everybody's COVID story is a little bit different. Everybody's experience is a little bit different, you know, but we all know what a full rail, what that feeling is like. You know, we all know what being in the weeds yeah. is like. Uh, we all know that self-accomplishment after, you know, doing 625 covers, walking out there, smoking a cigarette, that's going to be the best cigarette you ever lit up or smoked. And oh, it's yeah. going to go by like <laughs> twice as quick. You're going to be like, damn, the cigarette's already done, man. I'm like so high on adrenaline right now. And, and that's the stories we want to get. And I, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, uh, Chef Troy, and sharing all your amazing experiences, your early upbringings. And like I said, I think you have a really great foundation. And a lot of the chefs we've talked about, I think that as much as we hear, you know, on social media and about this industry, you know, like how there's shitty chefs. And I think this podcast proves that there's a lot of really good chefs and a lot of really good mentors. And a lot of people that care about this industry don't care about the paycheck and like, you know, are willing to work two jobs, two full-time jobs for two plus years, just to be like, I got this. I like, I want to know this. I want to figure it out. I want to cook this meat. I want to educate my, my staff. I want to educate my customers, my guests, my members. And that's amazing because, you know, that's what it's all about. Your, your right. creative output to put your passion into and you're able to do, you know, what you want. And I think, you know, you're repping True Cooks and I think that's a really great platform uh, for connecting industry people. And I think we all know what a True Cook stands for and what that means. Yeah, and it is like, Thank you guys for having me. And like, I hate the term when people are like, oh, this chef isn't as good as me or like the egotistical side of it because every chef has their own style. You know, like when I first started, I was, I thought I was better than people, you know, but then the more you look at it and the more it comes down to it, everybody has their own style. Like this guy's going to cook diner style food, but he's going to be fucking great at it. And it's going to be delicious. You know, versus right. like, I like to do my fine dining stuff, but I like to eat shitty diner food, you know? So it's like, you know, right. there's, there's no such thing. It's like a shitty chef. Like every chef wants to make somebody happy and they do what they love. Like they cook the food that they know how to cook, you know? And like, I've learned that through the five, I've only been in this industry for five years, but I've learned that through this process, you know, and this experience that I've had is to not judge anybody because I've been around so many chefs that just judge other chefs. And it's like, why? Like we're a community. You're, they're doing the same job you're doing. Like you said, they're rocking full rails. Like you're rocking full rails, you know, and they're busting their ass. Like you, I don't know. I just hate that certain chefs judge other chefs like that. And it's like, we're a community. We should all just be, you know, like, we should all get along and just collaborate and have fun together, you know, like shit. Yeah. But he's got a different 100%. style. You know? I, I think, yeah, I think that couldn't have been said in a, in a better context, like the way, what you just said. I think that's a really that's good. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was very, very well said, uh, Chef Troy, that, you know. Thank you. Well, Chef, before we let you go for tonight, like Vlad said, and, you know, like our viewers, I'm sure, share the sentiments. Thank you very much. Uh, we do have something that we wanted to start, so you will be our first chef. But we do have one question for you before you go off tonight. And that question is, <laughs> why 86? Uh, actually, <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe because it's it sounds terrible. That's a terrible number, though, right? Like yeah, eight, six. it's a good answer. They're it's not so going to pick sixty nine. <laughs> no, right? Exactly. That one's already taken. Huh? Yeah. That I mean, just comes off the tongue just right when you just get tired of doing something. You're like eighty six. That motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, it, it perfect does have answer. A good ring to it. Yeah. Perfect answer. Thank you, Chef. <laughs> I think me and no, Doug were both, both in the same predicament. It's like, I know what 86 means and I, I've used it before and I never want to use it again, but <laughs> I have no idea where, where I first heard it or where it even comes from or yes. what it actually means. So no, we're just sure. kind of trying to end each podcast 
you know, with that question of like, why, why is it 86? Can we get to the root of, you know, <laughs> and hopefully one day we will get the somebody answer. Somebody decided to. Episode 216. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to item. hear the podcast where somebody has the answer. I'm excited yes. to hear the answer to that one. Like that's, that's why a good 86. One. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it had to be a, you know, back in the day where somebody ran out of sun. He's like, ah, yeah, 86 that shit. But on <laughs> right. that note, on that note, yeah, I was just mesmerizing into images that was building in, inside of my mind. Uh, <laughs> enough, it, didn't, it didn't come out as pretty as I imagined it. Uh, but on that <laughs> note, I just want to thank all our viewers. As always, make sure to follow, like, and subscribe. Check out Chef Troy's beautiful Instagram page. What's the handler's name? Uh, Chef Troy. Your Insta page. Uh, at, at Chef Troy Brothwell. Well, you heard it here first. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and as always, leave a thoughtful comment. If there's any questions you'd like to ask us or Chef Troy, make sure to hit us up in the DMs or DM Chef Troy directly. But for that, we're going to beautiful podcast, Late Night with Chefs, Truffle Boy, co-host Doug, and our beautiful guest chef, Chef Troy. Thank you so much for everybody tuning in and chilling with us for this beautiful hour and nine minutes. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe out there. Awesome. Thank night you, guys. everyone. Stay safe.